right, Mark chapter 9. We're going to jump in today, and we are in our series called On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. Can we all say that together? Ready? On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. And the reason we chose that title is because the gospel is something to do. It is not just something to know. The Word of God is something to live out and to change our life. It's not just so you can win a Jeopardy tournament. But if you do win a Jeopardy tournament, make sure and send your tithe to Emmanuel Assembly of God. Praise the Lord. But the Bible is something to do. It is living and it is active. And I have built my life around God's Word. I'm, I'm not perfect in my Christianity and my life is not perfect without stress and compromise and without challenge. But I'm telling you, I am a much different man because of the Word of God and its investment in my life. It is a seed. Do you know the Bible says in Luke chapter 8 in verse 11, the Word of God is a seed. What do you have to do with the seed, ladies and gentlemen? You have to plant it. You have to water it. You have to nurture it. My kids love to bring little plants home from school and, and they'll put it in the window and they'll, they'll remember to water that seed for about three days and it'll get enough little sprout and it'll get enough sunshine and then they'll forget about the little plant and next thing you know, the plant is dead. And then they're all upset that their little plant died. And we say, well, quit bringing them home. It just happens every time. It's because we don't nurture it. We don't take care of it. We don't water the seed. The Word of God must be watered in your heart. You must let the presence of God soak the rain of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have such a great time in worship. It's because that the soaking of the Holy Spirit is watering the Word, and it will produce a fruit. It will produce in your life. It can't not produce if it's put in and watered and cared for. The Word of God works. And so that's why we're in this Bible study on the series of Mark. I've already began because, you know, we've only got, you know, two more years. So I'm already thinking about what's next. You know, we only got two more years to finish Mark at the pace that we're going. And so I'm already praying, what is next? I'm already asking the Lord. And I, I think he's talking maybe the book of Acts. And so we'll just see how that goes. We'll, we'll see. We've got, like I said, I've got a couple of years to, to think about it. Can I have an amen? But we're in chapter nine and we're in the last six months of the life of Christ. His time on earth is winding down. And we're going to pick up this morning in Mark chapter 9. And I believe we have some parallel passages up there, Matthew 18 and then Luke, uh, I think it's chapter 9. Here's the title, if we could jump back to that one screen. Here's the title this morning. I, I wrestled with this, Bruce, over and over again. I had so many titles and I wrote them all down and I just scratched them off as they didn't fit. This one fits. This is the greatest lesson on greatness. Would you say that with me this morning? Ready? The greatest lesson on greatness. There's something within all of our heart that desires to be great. How many of you wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to be a dud today. <laughs> I can't wait to really stink it up today at my job. <laughs> I can't wait to underperform today. How many of you, I can't wait to underachieve today. I can't wait to get up and have zero ambition this morning. How many of you get up like that? I'm telling you, that is not the way we are wired. God wired something inside Joseph and Kaylee to be great. God wired something inside of you to be great. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about going from good to great. I don't want to be good in the kingdom of God. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. We've got a lot of good Christians. Have you ever heard that phrase? Well, you know, he's a good Christian man. Like there's a bad Christian man. <laughs> now, there is someone who is not living the Christian life. 
But that always cracks me up. He's a really good Christian man. When have you ever heard somebody say he's a really great Christian man or woman? Yeah. Let it be said of us that we are a great follower of Jesus. So we're going to talk about the greatest lesson on greatness. And it's okay that you desire to be great. I know Pastor Michael's leading on a high level now with his inner city ministry, ministering to over a 1,000 kids every week during the school year. And I tell you, they desire to be great. They desire to do things well for the Lord. And that is okay. It is appropriate. God put that desire for excellence to excel. He put that in your heart. But we have to channel it. We have to aim it. How many of you have ever shot a weapon or a bow and arrow? How many know if the target's over there, you have to kind of aim it just a little bit? You have to aim it. You have to be purposeful. You have to pay attention. And so that's what we want to do with our ambition this morning. We want to give our ambition to the Lord, but and we want to let Him help us aim it. So let's check out Mark chapter 9. As we typically do, we're just going to read the passage all the way through. Jared's going to track along with us. Really appreciate our media team. Mark chapter 9, let's read. I'm going to follow on the screen. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. They've just come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. They've healed a boy that was demon-possessed. Remember last week we talked about what to do when faith does not work. Jump online, get on our website, grab the podcast. This will really, really help you. What do we do when faith does not work? There is a man who brought his son. The son was demon-possessed. One translation says he was a lunatic. How many of you, did your parents ever call you a lunatic growing up? He said, my son is demon-possessed. He's a lunatic. And your disciples could not cast out the demon and Jesus went into this discourse about unbelief and how faith can can be muted by unbelief and we see Jesus healed the boy but faith did not work in that situation we dealt with unbelief we dealt with relief from unbelief so now they're moving on. They're moving on from that region. And, and it says they traveled through Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, and this is why. He's, he's winding down his public ministry, and now he's really going to begin to focus on the disciples. I believe Jesus realized at this point, when the disciples could not cast the devil out of the boy, I believe he realized, I've still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I need to have a little one-on-one time with my disciples. They're not quite there Yet, Let's check out verse 31 and see what the scriptures tell us. For he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. This is the third time Jesus directly told his disciples that he was going to die. He was going to be crucified, but yet he would rise again on the third day. Now going down to the next one, they did not understand what he was saying. But they were afraid to ask what he meant. Why were they afraid to ask? Because they just got the rebuke of a lifetime. Jesus was not having a good day because he had just rebuked them for not being able to heal this demon-possessed boy. And so they were afraid to ask. Now, when they arrived at Capernaum and they settled into a house, many, many say this may have been Peter's house. Can't prove that, but it's widely uh, commented on in commentaries that this was more than likely Peter's home, and we're going to see a child in a minute, and it could have even been one of the children in Peter's family. So when they arrived at Capernaum and settled into a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the road? Everybody go, uh-oh. Uh oh, so they're walking, they're traveling, they're leaving, and Jesus is going on and, and, and he overhears this conversation. Have you ever questioned your children? What are you talking about? 
What were you all doing over there? Well, my, my children, me and Miss Tara, will be talking about things, and Ava is the worst at it. And so, Ava, I hope you get this CD and listen to this podcast so you will quit doing this. But she will say, what are y'all talking about? And I said, Ava, who am I talking to? Well, Mom, okay, I'm talking to Mom. I'm not talking to you. But she wants to know, what are we talking about? She's nosy like her mother. Can I have an amen? I'm teasing, I'm teasing. So Jesus said, what are you talking about? What, what are you discussing along the road? Look at verse 34. But they did not answer because the answer was not a good answer. They were not talking about the great future ministry that Jesus was going to do through them collectively. They weren't talking about the great feeding of the 5,000 of the miracles. And they weren't reading scripture together. Look what was going on. They had been arguing. This is the disciples this is the people we call Saint. Saint Peter was arguing. Let me know, there's hope for me. Look at your neighbor and say, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. This is a bunch of carnal men. They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Philip said, it's got to be me. Remember when Jesus needed to feed 20,000 people? Who did he ask how he could do it? He asked me, Philip. And Peter says, well, you all didn't get to see what I just saw. Jesus took me to the mountain. I can't tell you what I saw, but you didn't get to see what I saw. And John goes, you know, you know Jesus loves me the most. I'm the beloved uh, writer. We'll write gospels. And, and then Judah says, but he trusts me with the money. And so they're arguing about who is the greatest, much like you guys do out in the lobby. I hear it on Sunday mornings. And notice here what, what Jesus goes on to say in verse 35. So he sat down. Anytime the rabbi would teach, he would always sit down. When I read this, I was almost inspired to start preaching sitting down. But that was just a fleeting thought, and it left very quickly. He sat down to teach, means, meaning he, he wanted their attention because this is very important. One day I'm going to come in and I'm going to preach sitting down and I'm going to have you all stand up through the whole sermon and we're going to see how this goes, see how you all like it. That may not be very good for church attendance, so we'll, we'll pray about that. Notice this, he called the 12 in Mark 9.35 and he went over and, and they said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be servant of everyone else. What were they arguing about? Who's the greatest? I see no rebuke for wanting to be great. I see no chastisement or no correction that they were even ascending to be great in the kingdom of God. What I see is the avenue they were thinking about greatness. See, they still thought Jesus was going to set up a, a reigning kingdom on the earth and, and Jesus would have hierarchy of power. And that day is coming. It just wasn't this day. That's coming after the second coming of the Lord. We will then rule and reign with him forever. We are kings and priests in the courts of our God. That day was not here. They were looking ahead, but they missed the, the sequence of things. And so Jesus did not chastise them for being ambitious. Ambitious. He did not correct them for having this desire to do something great in the kingdom, but he corrected how they were going to align to do that. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Let's read that together if we can. Ready? 
Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Now, how different is this than our society? In society, we reward those who can unashamedly and unchallenged, who, who can assert themselves as better than everyone else. Call this company because we're the best. Call me to do your taxes because I'm the best. Put me on this sports team because I'm the best. Our society is a prideful society. We live in a society that is counter the word of God. The society says to get ahead, you've got to step on other people. And the word of God says to get ahead, you've got to pick someone else up. The, the world says you've got to get all you can and can all you keep and keep it all and, and, and just gather all of your money and, and, and hoard all of your money and to be wealth and, and riches. And the Bible says in order to get, you've got to let it go. The world teaches look out for you and your interest. Every, almost every lawsuit has to deal with this person and how they were wronged and their interest and what, what, how it made them feel and how they were treated. When the Bible says we're to look out for the common good, I'm to look out for BJ, I'm to look out for Jay, I'm to look out for Elijah. We are a family, we are a team. I can't just look out for my own interest. Can I have amen? Anybody out there? I wasn't sure if the mic was working last week, so we put fresh batteries in just to make sure. Notice this here. So he brings up a little child. He's going to use an illustration. Now, let me just tell you something about this society that you may not understand. You may, you may not know. Children were not valuable in this society. Uh, the pagans sacrificed them without any thought. Uh, the death rate was over 50%. A child more than likely was going to die. If you had four children... But before the age of five, if you have four children, before they're the age of five, probably two of them, maybe three, they're going to die. Parents did not have a connection with their children because, number one, they could not produce anything. I mean, you know, children, uh, although I wish my children would work, they're not working yet. They're bringing in no money. They spend my money. Every time I leave the house, I get a text from Ava, and she's like, Hey, Dad, what's your plans today? I'll reply, what do you need from the store? <laughs> She's into this thing where they make slime. Have you all seen where you can make slime? I have bought more bottles of Elmer glue than anybody has a right to buy. And shaving cream. I'll go in and I'll get buggies full of shaving cream and Elmer's glue. They probably think I'm cooking meth or something in my basement. I don't know if that's what goes in meth, but I sure hope it's not because I'm probably on the watch list. We're going through gallons of that stuff. What did that have to do with my sermon? I have no idea. Somebody get me back on track. I don't even know. He brought a child. He brought a child. child. Children were not valuable. Now, my sweet little Ava is very valuable to me. But in that society, friends, they were not, parents were not connected emotionally to their children until they were five or six years old because there's a high probability that child was going to die. And the father's seen them as a liability. It's another mouth I have to feed, and they can't produce anything. They just consume now, I'm not saying we advocate that, but I'm just telling you historically, that's how this was. So for the rabbi, the teacher, for Jesus to bring a child, they knew exactly. that It, 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 it spoke louder than anything Jesus said because of the way they viewed children. Took a child in his arms. I love, it. I love the way Jesus valued children. 
And we would do well as a church to value children the way Jesus valued children. And he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this, anyone who welcomes a little child who can't do anything for you, who can't help you. They have no political advantage. They cannot bring you any income. They cannot help you and do anything for you. But anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Haven't you heard it said, what you do unto others, do as you, as you have others do unto you. And whatever you do to others, you're doing unto me. Work as unto the Lord. Check this out here. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes my father. And John said, teacher, Notice how they quickly begin to change the subject here. Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he was not in our group. <laughs> how many of you have met some churches like that? Now, they should have got the notepad and started taking notes on how this guy was casting out demons because they couldn't do it just a few verses before. How dare they make this guy stop? I think there was a little jealousy there because it wasn't working for them. But it's working for this guy. He's not in our group. Someone, come, on, come on, somebody give me a break. He's not in our group. And he, we told him to stop. And he was casting out devils. They were criticizing this man instead of celebrating the freedom. They were not thinking about the demon-possessed person whose life was completely changed. And now he's free all they're thinking about is he's not in our little group. Somebody say, uh-oh. Jesus said in verse 39, don't you dare stop him. This doesn't say don't you dare, but if you read in the original language, I'm sure that it's there. He said, don't you dare stop him. Don't stop him. Jesus said, no one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Verse 40, anyone who is not against us is for us. And I wish I could preach on this. This is not the theme of the message today. If anyone even gives a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. So here's, what, uh, here's where I want to take us today in the next few minutes. I want to dial us in. As we read this passage, there are so many themes that we could platform into, so many places we could dive in and splash into, but today we're going to really dive into the greatest lesson on being great in the kingdom of God, and it's being a servant of all. It's humility. Every problem in this passage can be solved with humility, can be solved with being a servant. So this is kind of the theme today. God notices humility. Would you say that with me? God notices humility. Look with me at Isaiah 66, and I believe it's verse 2. Isaiah 66 and verse 2 declares this, For my hand made all these things, says the Lord. Thus these things came into being, declares the Lord. But this one, but to this one, but to this person, but to this one I will look. This person catches my attention. This person causes me to take notice. To this one I will look, to him who is humble and of a contrite spirit, who trembles at my word. And so God notices humility. But we've got to understand what humility is not. See this on the screen. Humility is not weakness. Humility is not meaning you are weak and you can't perform a task. Humility is not wimpiness. Now, I understand wimpiness is not a word. I understand. I know that, but I wanted it to say wimpiness. 
How many think, sometimes you think he's so humble, he's just a little wimp? No, you can be very strong, you can be very confident. You don't have to be a wimp to be humble. Jesus was humble, but he was no wimp. Can I have an amen? Jesus was a manly man. I, I bet Jesus walked around with his shirt off because he had a six-pack. I'm just saying he was a manly man. I keep my shirt on because I've got a one-pack. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus was not a wimp. He was a manly man. He did things men do, and he carried the cross like a man would do. And he, would, he went in and kicked out all the money changers because they were making the temple of God into something it shouldn't be with a whip. I mean, you got to have a pretty good self-esteem to go in and whip everybody. And there could have been over 100 people in that temple, and Jesus drove every one of them out. I am wiry, and I am confident but I better have an unction from the Lord to go in and try to whip out. I'd be like, excuse me, everybody. Can we please leave this? This is not good. Can we please do this? And Jesus just went in and busted it up and let them know what was going on. Well, that wasn't very humble. That was kind of prideful. That was very humble because he was doing what God had led him to do. Humility is not weakness and not wimpiness. That is true. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be wimpy. You need to tell Bob. I don't know where Bob is. This, that was just for Bob. Okay. Humility is not a lack of ideas or zeal. Humility is not just being passive. Humility is not being inadequate. Humility is being fully dependent upon the Lord. Look at some quotes, if you will, from Andrew Murray. I don't know if you study him. He's alive in the 1800s. He wrote a great devotional, a great little read, a book on humility. It's an amazing book. Listen to some of the things that he says. He says, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. That was worth coming for right there. Pride must die in me or nothing of heaven can live in me. The disciples were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you got to be last and you got to be servant of all and you got to approach me as a child. you got to honor those who can't do anything for you. You've got to love just because it's what you're called to do, not what they can give. When you love your baby, when I love my baby, Tate... Or Lillian, there is really nothing other than joy that they can give me, but we serve them and bless them and honor them as children because that's what we are called to do. And we're called to do that to everyone. Pastor Michael and Candy honored Dre and Ricky, their little foster kids, for six months, and they could give nothing to them. They took a lot from them. They didn't hold them at gunpoint and steal, you know, steal from them. They were babies, you understand. But they invested and gave because it's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do to one another. Can I have an amen? So notice this here. Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. And I'll rephrase that a little bit because we don't speak like they spoke in the 1800s. It's basically saying this. Humility is, is, is when yourself disappears, when you see all that God is and all that God has and everything God is, it causes the vision of self to disappear. Humility is where you place entire dependence upon God. I'm going to give you a new definition for humility. You ready? Humility is not inadequacy. It's dependency. I want you to change. Everything you think about humility can be summed up, and it's not inadequate, but it's dependent, being fully dependent upon God. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do everything. 
Well, I don't want to do that. You, you, you're really going after God. Your church is really making a difference in that. Y'all seem a little bit prideful. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not weak and wimpy and, and I'm insecure and I don't have any zeal and I don't have any ideas. I am strong and I'm following God and I'm making a difference. The most humble thing that you can do is follow the instructions of the Lord. God tells them in a few years to go to another land and start a ministry or do, they've got some things in their heart and, and somebody might say, well, that's awful prideful of them to think they can just pack up and move. No, the most humble thing you can do is follow the call of God on your life. So I want us to just dive into this this morning. We're going to go from good to great. Are you ready? I'll just give you a few things. We're going to go from good to great. I'm going to tell people I don't have any good Christians in my church. What's wrong over there? I have all great Christians. They're all great. Let's check this out. Let's go from good to great in the kingdom of God. Are you ready? Okay, one of you. All right, I'll preach over here. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's coming anyway. Ready or not, here it comes. Number one, from the passage, Jesus began talking about the cross. The very first passage, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be with you. There's purpose in the way that is aligned in scripture he's teaching them number one to be fully dependent upon the holy spirit number one if we're going to go from good to great if we're going to go from a good christian to the greatest in the kingdom of god we must be fully dependent upon the holy spirit the ministry of the Holy Spirit must be active in your life every single day. There should not be a day where you're not flowing and working in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He is our teacher. Look with me at John 16 and verse 7. This is a marvelous truth to me. This is just amazing. Jesus was with the disciples, but he's preparing them for his departure, and he's talking about the helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And look what the Bible records in John 16 and verse 7. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage, disciples, that I leave. Because if I don't leave, the helper cannot come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We've got to be fully dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why we talked about Wednesday night in our Bible study in Ephesians about grieving the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a mist or a wind or a ghost. He is the, the third person in the, the Trinity, and he's, he's God, just like God the Father and God the Son. It's God the Holy Spirit, and it's a person. He has a will and mind and intelligence and feelings, and you can grieve the Holy Spirit. So we must align ourselves to be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Cultivate somebody. Say cultivate. You gotta cultivate your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Meaning you learn when He's prompting you and you learn when He's leading you and you learn when you just don't need to do this. There's a little voice on the inside that says, just don't go there, don't do this. I have driven home before and felt prompted to go a different way. Didn't know why. Went a different way and found out there was some kind of thing going on over here that, that maybe I could have been involved in. We gotta learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. If Chad is having a rough day, and Chad doesn't have rough days, we don't believe in bad days, ain't that right? Let's just say Chad's brother's having a bad day. God can speak to Sabrina. Amen. That's right. I like her. She needs to sit up front. Amen. About six of those little kids up here. They'll give me some amens. I'll give them candy and they will amen. And I will go home a happy man. 
Chad's brother's having a bad day. God can speak to Sabrina a word for Chad or a word for Kelly, and one text message can completely change the course of their day. And it's the Holy Spirit prompting you. I'm, this is, I'm learning to follow the Lord just like you. I don't have it perfect like you all do, you know, but I'm learning. And I'll think something's good, and I'll advance it and pursue it, and I'll know the Holy Spirit say, no, this is not it. But I think it's good anyway, so I'm going to pursue it. And then it ends up not being good, and I'm like, okay, I should have listened. You told me it was not going to be good. We've got to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Look at this PowerPoint for life. Check this out. This will help you. Write this down. Live this out. It is not our personality or talent which make us great. Our dependence upon God makes us great. The thing that makes our church great is we are fully dependent upon the Lord. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, you will receive power when you're really talented and when you're really good and when you have everything together. That's not what it says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That is our dependence. He is our power Source, can I have an amen? So number one, be completely dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to go from good to great. Number two, check this out. Don't compete, but complete. Somebody give me a T. Somebody give me an E. Somebody give me an A. Somebody give me an M. Did I spell it right, teacher? Okay, all right. What does that spell? Team. Together, everyone achieves more. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> There's no I in team, but there is a me. Praise God. Hallelujah. And we need each other. So, team, I know that was silly and I know it was goofy, but, but seriously, the disciples were competing. They were competing. Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. They're arguing in our church body. We cannot compete with one another. It's not a competition. I love our, we have so many preachers in this church, and they're having an opportunity right now to speak on Wednesday nights. Miss Gail teaches, Pastor Michael preaches, Brother Rick preaches, Jay preaches, BJ preaches, Joseph spoke, we had Pastor Randy. We have a ton of really, really good ministers in our congregation. Never Never, not one time, have any of them clamored and complained that they're not getting to preach enough or even preach on Sundays, you know. We only meet on Sundays once, and that's kind of my gig right now, you know. I'm sorry, but that's kind of my deal. But not once, not one time have they... Now, would they all love to preach more? Yes, I'd love them to be able to preach more. That's why we're doing this on Wednesday nights and taking a rotation. But you know why I ask them to preach? Because they're not asking me if they can preach. Right? Come on, amen? They're not competing with one another. If, if we, if the worship team is going and flowing and, and Candy is supposed to be leading a song and, and Kaylee really senses something from the Lord and, and shares that, Candy can't get her underwear in a wad because Kaylee started in on her song. Can I have an amen? Are y'all too holy for that? That's good preaching though. Isn't that good preaching? I could have said something else. That I, I, was, I had a filter there, praise God. See, Miss Tara, my filter works, hallelujah. <laughs> we are not in competition. And God promotes people because of faithfulness. You want to know who I'm looking for in the church to be promoted and who I'm looking for to help with more responsibility? Those who are faithful in the little. 
Do you know why Joseph and Kaylee have been given the task to lead our Kids Quest ministry? It's because a year and a half ago, he was one of the first ones that said, I'll show up at 8 o'clock, Pastor, and help you pull a trailer. I'm just telling you because you were faithful. The more we are faithful, the more God can trust us with greater and greater things. He pulled a trailer at 8 o'clock in the morning when nobody could see. Now he's got a ministry back there that everybody can see. God rewards faithfulness, but it's not a competition. We, if, we're, if we're competing in any area, it's competing to outserve one another. Can I have an amen? If we're in competition, it's how can we, how can we be so encouraging? I'm going to come to Emmanuel today, and I'm going to be the most encouraging person in the room. I'll take you on with that challenge. Praise God. We can compete on that level. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Are you getting this? Is this okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says this. Don't worry. We wouldn't dare say we are as wonderful as these men. <laughs> we wouldn't dare tell you we're as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. I'll never have to tell you how important I am. I'll let my actions and my serving tell you how important I am. Notice this here. They are only comparing themselves with each other using themselves as the standard of measurement, using themselves as a measuring stick. How ignorant. Somebody say, how ignorant. We can't compare one another. We've got to compare ourselves to the Lord, and, and He is the measuring stick. He is the standard. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, said humility, catch this now. Rick Warren said this, or he said someone said it. But I got it from his book. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. The disciples didn't realize that the question is not who is the greatest, but the question is how great can they be as a unit? How great can they be as a team? How great can they be as a body? So we can't compete. Number three, this is good, man, I like this. Whoever wrote this is really, really good. I'll tell you what. That was a little prideful. I'm sorry, I know, we're talking about humility. Number three, have a servant's heart. Have a servant's heart. And this is what I wrote in my notes. Serve those who can't do anything for you. That's the child, Jesus bringing the child with no expectation of repayment. It's easy to help someone that can help you. It's easy to help someone with a lot of money because if you get in a pinch, they will remember, oh, he was so nice and he came and served me. We've got to serve with no hidden motivation, no agenda. So appreciative of Carrie and Hope over here. He'd only been in our church just a few weeks and volunteered to build a closet for us, which is just a wonderful blessing, the very timing of God. Yeah, come on, can we give God thanks? And then the other Carrie and Angela helped paint it. We just got Carrie's working all over the place. Praise God. Yes, we need more Carrie's. Amen. Anybody received pregnancy this morning? Any, any, anybody trying to get pregnant? Well, you can name your baby Carrie. Praise God. We'll continue to populate the church. But he didn't do that. And then the next week go, hey, pastor, remember that closet that I made for you? By the way, I need this. I think, by the way, high five, I love you, handshake. I'm sorry, good to meet you. We love you. Thank you for the closet. No, <laughs> That's not the way it works. Now, if he had a legitimate need, we'd be there. First one standing in line to try to help. You understand what I'm saying. But you can't serve to get something. Serve out of love, not selfish ambition. Don't serve to get reward. Jesus modeled this. He washed the feet of the disciples. 
Look with me at Matthew 5.41. i got to speed this up just a little bit. Matthew 5.41. Man, I wish I had more time. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, if someone demands of you to go a mile, this is the extra mile principle. In this day, soldiers would pass through the region. It's a very military area, and soldiers would pass through, and they would demand someone to carry the gear, much like a person was demanded to carry the cross of Jesus. He didn't have an option to carry this cross. The, the rule was that if you are asked of a soldier, you carry his gear and his luggage for one mile. But look what Jesus said. I would, love, I would love to have a ministry just one day called Extra Mile, the Extra Mile. How many know there's no traffic jam on the Extra Mile? Jesus said if someone demands you to go one mile, you carry his gear for two miles. The first mile, he has you. The second mile, you have him. Why are you doing this? Because I love you, because I'm called to serve. I'm called to be a blessing. So we need to have a servant's heart. Look at Philippians, now number four. We'll go to number four. Number four, prefer others above yourself. These all tie in. I wish I could get my children to understand this. <laughs> We're working on it. Can I have an amen? What is it to prefer others above yourself? You know how I make myself practice this? Unless I'm in an extreme hurry, in a rare circumstance... If I pull in a parking lot, now if you ever see me do this and I don't do this, it means there's a legitimate reason I need to get quickly to the next spot. I've got something very important I need to get to. But most of the time, if I pull up in, in a line and there's a car here and a car here, even if I'm first, unless it's a really hot day, it's raining, I got all my kids, something like that. But most of the time, especially if I'm by myself, I will always just, just wave them on. And they're like, they look at me like, what are you doing? I'm training myself to prefer others above myself because it's not natural. Natural is to take care of self. But the gospel, the new nature, is to prefer Sabrina and her needs above my own. We must prefer others above ourselves. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Notice this here. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not trying to impress, but I'm trying to bless. Notice this here, Philippians 2, 3. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking as of others as better than yourself. Don't try to impress. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourself. When you humble yourself, God lifts you up. Isn't that what the Bible says? So we want to prefer others above ourselves. Number five. We're going to wrap this up. Number five. I only have 15 of these. Hallelujah. I'm just teasing. So we're going to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Somebody say this with me, say it loud. Say, I'm going from good, and I'm going to be great. Put a little gusto in it. I'm going to be great. Give me a little Tony the Tiger. It's going to be great. Hallelujah. Be dependent upon the Spirit of God. Don't compete, but complete. Have a servant's heart. Prefer others above yourself. And then go ahead and pull up five and six, Jared. We'll, do, we'll hit five and six because they kind of tie in together. Number five is simply this. Ready? Rejoice when others win. When Carol's business is going great and God's blessing her, if I'm having a hard time financially, I cannot look at her with judgmental eyes and go, oh, I wonder what she's doing. And or Somebody shows up with a new car and you've been wanting a new car and it's just not in the budget yet. Rejoice with them. Anytime anybody gets a new car, I'm so excited. 
I like want to rub it and touch it and look at it and sit in it and all that. Now, was I not so excited when you guys got a new car? Guess who really, 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 really wants a new car? You've seen what I drive. I'm too cheap to fix the windshield. It's got a giant crack all the way through the windshield. If anybody on the Internet's listening and feels so led, mail it to 2216 Prosser Road. Send me a check. I'll gladly buy a new car on your behalf. Praise God. You never know who's listening on the Internet. I may get a new car next week. Praise God. Praise God. I may not, but I may. Guess who rejoiced with them? Man, I was so excited. I wasn't going. I ain't, I ain't got my new car yet by God and look at them coming here and there's a nice little new car and whatever they, that's a y'all like that that's my pouty voice you, you ne- you'll never you'll never get there if that's your attitude we've got to rejoice when others win sometimes I'll say this cautiously sometimes the Lord is withholding the timing he's not withholding your blessing but he's withholding the timing because you've not yet learned to be content in all things Paul said in all things I've learned to be content you got you got to learn to enjoy the journey as you're going to where you are. Miss Sabrina just finished her degree and so proud of her for doing that. But she's got to be content where she is as God is leading her and opening doors to where she's going. You can't get restless. And, and when others win, we've got to rejoice. Look at Romans 12:10. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 says, "Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other." Imagine what our church would look like when everybody that walked in the door took such delight in honoring one another. People would think we were a little weird at first, but they would get used to it. So we got to honor one another. The Amplified Bible says give preference to honor one another. And then the last thing, we're going to close with this. you got to receive the reward. Humility, I know in our country it's not as bad, but you guys would know in other countries and other cultures, the pastor is supposed to be the most poor person in the city because we got to keep him humble. We don't want him to get prideful. How many of the Bible says we humble ourselves and God lifts us up? It doesn't say the church has to keep us humble. And that's really uh, bad even in some of our cities and in our culture. We, we, you know, being humble is not, not having anything. It's not having nice things. It's, not, it's none of that. And, and you've got to learn to receive the reward. It is, it is actually pride. It is actually pride. If you do not receive the reward, God has for you. Remember, Jesus said, if you bring a, a cup of water in my name, you will not lose the... A lot of Christians tr- have trouble receiving the reward because they don't think it's humility if they receive it. It's actually pride if you don't receive it because God is giving it to you. Last scripture, we're going to wrap this up, Colossians three twenty three. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. But I tell you, you do that, it, it makes your job seem a lot better. You don't hate your job near as much if you're working for the Lord, not people. Oh, that's good. That was worth coming for. Can I have an amen so I know I'm not by myself? Look at verse 24 as we close with this. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord, your Christ. So as we're humble, receive the blessings God has for you. As you're walking in humility and dependency upon the Lord, receive His healing in your body. Receive His financial blessing. Receive His wisdom. Receive the reward. Jesus invented the reward system. It's okay to receive the reward. Isn't that good news? 
So real quick, pull all six back up, Jared. Let's just hit them, and we're going to leave here this with you today. This is how we go from good to great. Be dependent upon the Lord. Don't compete, but complete. Have a servant's heart. Prefer others above yourself. Rejoice when others win, and then receive the reward that God has for you. Isn't that good news? Amen. Let's pray together. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we just love you this morning. We honor you, and we, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement this morning. Lord, we pray over every person under the sound of my voice right now, Lord, that they will catch a glimpse of how great you think they are. And, and in the name of Jesus, I just push away any insecurity, any, any insecurity in our people. I just push it away in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that they will see you and they, that you, they will see how you see them. God, if we could see ourselves half as great as you see us, we would change the world for you. And Lord, we're great because you are the great I am. And we're great because the great I am is living on the inside of us. And, and everything we are, God, is because of you. We are nothing without you, Lord. And Father, I pray for those that have had trouble receiving the reward. I pray for those who have felt it would be prideful when they walk in your blessings and receive your inheritance. I pray, Lord, you'll show them in love and with clarity that it is okay. Here's the word of the Lord for you. It is okay to be healthy. It is okay to be joyful. It is okay to be blessed. It is okay to have your needs met. It is okay to have provision. It is okay to let God love you. And Lord, I pray you'll send people this, this week to show them again just how much you love them. We thank you for your word, Lord. I just, I just have a, a thought here for someone if every head bowed, every eye closed. And then I'm going to ask Gail to come and encourage us about the Dinner of Hope briefly. But you've been, you've been asking the Lord for confirmation. And, and I just sensed in my heart, just maybe f for someone, that it's okay to take the next step. You've been asking the Lord, kind of waiting in limbo. And I just sensed this morning the Lord would say, it is okay. That's the phrase I heard, to take the next step. And he understands that you do not know what the next step after that will be. God didn't call you to know what the step after that one is going to be. He called you to follow and obey the step that he's given you now. Psalm 119 and 105, the word is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Sometimes the path is illuminated. Sometimes it's just the steps. You feel like you have a step in your heart. The Lord would be saying this morning, I release you. It's okay to take the next step. Hope you receive that this morning. Can we give God a hand of praise? Come on, let's thank the Lord for his presence. Amen. Very briefly. Sabrina and Gail are going to come and talk about our dinner of hope, and then we're going to all pack up like little ants. <laughs> we're going to go, 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 we're going to pack, pack up. We're going to love each other as we do. Amen? I love you guys. We'll see you in a little bit.